like to read uh, Matthew 27. We'll start at verse 11 and go through verse 26. Matthew 27, starting at verse 11 through 26. And Jesus stood before the governor, and the governor asked him, saying, Art thou the king of the Jews? And Jesus said unto him, Thou sayest. And when he had accused of the chief priests and elders, he answered nothing, and said Pilate unto him, Hearest thou not how many things they witness against thee? And he answered him to never a word, insomuch as the governor marveled greatly. Now at this feast the governor was wont to release unto the people a prisoner whom they would. And they had then a notable prisoner, Barabbas. Therefore, when they had gathered together, Pilate said unto them, Whom will ye that I release unto you, Barabbas or Jesus, which is called Christ? For he knew that for envy they had delivered him. When he was set down on the judgment seat, his wife sent unto him, saying, Have nothing to do with this just man, for I have suffered many things this day in a dream because of him. But the chief priests and the elders persuaded the multitude and they, that they should ask Barabbas and destroy Jesus. The governor answered and said unto them, Whether of, of the twain will you release unto you? Will I release unto you? They said, Barabbas. Pilate said unto them, What shall I do then with this Jesus which is called Christ? They all say unto him, said unto him, Let him be crucified. And the governor said, What evil has he done? But they cried out the more, saying, Let him be crucified. When Pilate saw that he could prevail nothing, but that rather a tumult was, was made, he took water and washed his hands before the multitude, saying, I am innocent of this blood of this just person. See you to it. Then, then answered all the people and said, His blood be on us and on our children. Then, then they released Barabbas unto them, and when he had scourged Jesus, he delivered him to be crucified. Thank you, Brother Mark, and good morning to you again. We will be taking our lesson here from Matthew 27, Matthew chapter 27. We'll notice five questions that are asked. Here is Jesus stands on trial uh, for his life. I have just a few goals in mind here. Uh, first of all, just to simply see uh, some information about Christ. You might be asking, well, why are we looking at five questions? Especially, these will be five questions that come from an evil ruler. Why would we be looking at five questions from an evil ruler? Well, it pertains to Jesus Christ. And so we're looking, first of all, one goal would be just information about Christ. Information about Christ. And then my goal here is to have greater appreciation for Christ. Greater appreciation for Christ. And the third goal I have here is devotion to Him. More devotion to Christ. And then fourthly, my goal is... To be able to see salvation in Christ. Salvation in Christ. Whenever we're looking at an episode in Jesus' life, it's, 
It's good to have these goals in mind. Information about Christ. Appreciation for Christ. Devotion to Christ. And always our ultimate goal is salvation in Christ for all of us. And so let's get right into these five questions. Five questions asked by a wicked ruler. His name is Pilate. His name is Pilate. You, you know him well. And you'll know him even better after today. Five questions from a wicked ruler. Question number one is, are you the king of the Jews to Jesus? Here Matthew 27 and verse 11. Are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus gives what we know to be a very subdued answer. A reserved, subdued, but he does say yes. But it's a reserved yes. You have said so. You have said so. Why is it that Jesus would answer this way, in a reserved sort of a way, a subdued type of way? Well, Jesus is, is doing this because there's so much, much misunderstanding about uh, his identity. In other words, he is saying here to Pilate, yes, I am the king of the Jews, but not in the political sense in which you're used to hearing it. I'm not a rival to Caesar, I'm not a rival to you, but I am spiritually and scripturally the king of the Jews. Jesus, we hear him saying, or read about him saying, in, over in John 18, 36, he will say to Pilate, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, then would my servants fight. But neither Pilate nor Caesar or anyone had anything to fear from Jesus being the king of the world, the king of the Jews, but they just simply, simply didn't understand it. Something that will help us is Luke 17. Take your Bibles and look over to Luke 17. It will help us understand this matter a little bit further. Luke 17, 20 and 21. Someone asked Jesus about his kingdom there. Luke 17, 20 and 21. And Jesus says, the kingdom of God does not come with observation. In other words, the kingdom of God does not come as something to be observed by signs. Okay. Uh, people will not say, lo, here it is, or lo, uh, there it is. Rather, the kingdom of God is within you. Is within you. And there Jesus is simply saying, my kingdom will not come as other kingdoms have come. The kingdom of God did not come with a great deal of fanfare. It did not come uh, with a great deal of pomp and circumstance. It did not come with prancing horses or elephants it did not come with marching armies, but rather the kingdom of God will, it did come quietly, and it will always be a quiet kingdom. Okay. In other words, Jesus is saying, and, and the rest of scripture bears this out, Jesus is saying, my people who will be in my kingdom will first uh, devote themselves to me from their heart. The gospel will operate upon their heart. It will operate quietly upon their heart. And then from there, they will learn to be obedient. They'll learn to be submissive. And they'll learn all that I am about. They'll learn uh, to be a praying people. They'll, be, they'll learn to be a serving people. They'll learn to be a worshiping people. They'll be a giving, they will be a giving people, a sacrificing people. And this is how the kingdom of God will operate. This is how the kingdom of God will make itself known into the world, it will do it quietly compared to how people usually uh, look at kingdoms and, king, and kings. 
And so the first question here by this wicked ruler is, are you the king of the Jews? Jesus said quietly, yes, I am. For us, this helps us understand the Bible and the scriptures in such a powerful way. Because oftentimes, as we're reading about Jesus and the coming kingdom, uh, it sort of seems like people are misunderstanding misunderstanding it, but we don't have to misunderstand it. And it also helps us to understand the kind of people we are to be. If we want to follow Jesus, we must become like Him. Jesus came not as someone to be served, as He says in Matthew 20, 26-28, not as someone to be served, but as a servant. To give His life a ransom for many. And that, that's, this helps us understand the kind of kingdom we are, the kind of people we are. It helps us understand that we, we don't have to bring in the world's methods. We don't have to bring in the world's ideals. We should not do that. Never should we do that. But rather, we are simply to be the children of God. We are to operate just like our Lord operates. Second question. Notice it here from Matthew 27, 12, and 13. The second question from this wicked ruler is, do you not hear how many things they testify against you? Do you not hear how many things they testify against you? You see there in verse 12, that's what these Jewish leaders are doing. They're bringing out testimony against Jesus. If you were to jump over to Luke 23, verse 2, they elaborate elaborate more on it there in Luke 23, verse 2, saying, this man is misleading the nation. This man is against Caesar. He's not allowing people. He's encouraging people not to pay taxes to Caesar. He's just misleading the nation. He's proclaiming himself to be a king. And so they're getting everything wrong and they're testifying against him. But notice that Jesus does not answer a single charge. He remains silent. Now when Pilate asks him, are you the king? He does say yes. But with these charges brought against him, he doesn't answer a bit. He, He doesn't answer a single charge. Okay, Why is this? Well, this is Jesus allowing himself to go to the cross. This is what this is. This is Jesus allowing himself to go to the cross. Remember with me Philippians 2 and verse 8. He became obedient, obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. This is Jesus doing that. Remember Jesus saying in John 10, 17 and 18, I'm the good shepherd and the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. But no man takes my life from me, Jesus says. I have power to lay it down. I have power to take it again. This is Jesus allowing himself to go to the cross. This is why he's not answering any of these accusations that are thrown against him. You see, We remember as Jesus was arrested in the garden that Peter took out his sword and Jesus said, put up your sword. Do you not know that at this time I could call 12 legions of angels? But Jesus did not do that. He would not do this. This is Jesus allowing himself to go to the cross. This is also Jesus obeying Proverbs 26 and verse 4. Proverbs 26 and verse 4. Well, what does that say? It says simply, answer not a fool according to his folly, lest you become like him. Well, that's a good one to remember. And Jesus is showing us Proverbs 26 and verse 4, answer not a fool 
according to his folly, lest you become like him. These men making these accusations, they had had plenty of opportunity with the Old Testament scriptures and with Jesus being on earth daily, teaching in the temple, they had opportunity to learn better, but at this point they were still spiritually fools and Jesus didn't have time for that. This is Jesus showing us Proverbs 26 and verse 4. And this is Jesus staying focused. What a lesson this is for us. This is Jesus staying focused. He knew why he was there. He had been living for this moment. He would not fail the Father. He is going to go through with the cross. He knows what's ahead of him. He is not going to turn back. He is driven. He is focused. He has his eye on the target. And so he's not going to be drug away into this accusation and that accusation. This is Jesus staying focused. He knew who he was. He knew who his, what his mission was. And he would not be entangled in this or that that would drive him away. And then there's a lesson for us. If we know who we are, if we know why we're here, then we'll know also when it's time to ignore these different worldly entanglements and stay on target, stay focused on what the Lord would have us to do. Second question Pilate asked, do you not hear how many things they testify against you? Third question from Matthew 27, 17, and also 27, 21. The question is, and this is Pilate to the crowd, whom do you want me to release to you? Barabbas or Jesus who is called Christ? As Mark was reading for us, they had a custom at the feast that the crowd could choose one prisoner to be released uh, to them. There are, in this scene, there are people, and where you have people, you have problems. Everybody in this scene has a problem except Jesus. First, Barabbas has a problem. He has a huge problem. If you tune in to Luke 23, 18 and 19, I think it is, you find out Barabbas has done a lot of bad things. He's He's a murderer. He has caused an insurrection in the city. Uh, he has uh, been a robber. John 18, 40 says he was a robber, a thief. Uh, he was in prison for a very good uh, reason. Barabbas has a problem. By the way, by the way, here's a Roman government in the first century a government not known for its benevolence, you might say. But even this government could see that those who violate the law and murder and steal and destroy property need to be in jail. Isn't that interesting? Barabbas had a problem. But also, Pilate had a problem. Pilate had a problem. Because Pilate, in his mind and in his, just his own heart, knew Jesus was completely innocent. But he was receiving a tremendous amount of pressure from the Jews and a few others 
to put Jesus to death. And so he thought he had a way out. He thought, okay, I've got this prisoner release. And so he went and he found the most notorious prisoner, prisoner there was in prison. And he brought him out. And Pilate in his mind was saying, well, I'm going to release one. Surely they will choose for Jesus to be released and send Barabbas to the cross because it's such an obvious contrast. But that didn't work out, did it? Never underestimate the ignorance of people. And so they chose Barabbas to be released instead of Jesus. So Pilate had a problem. And Pilate's wife, look here in uh, 27, 19, Pilate's wife sends him a message saying, Have nothing to do with this righteous man, Jesus, for I have suffered many things in a dream because of him. So she sends that in. She's got a bad feeling about all of this. That ought to have been enough for Pilate to stop the proceedings. Not only Pilate's wife, but these Jewish leaders, they have a huge problem. Notice there in Matthew 27, 18, that even Pilate could see, wicked Pilate could see that the reason they were delivering Jesus up was because of envy. Envy. Jealousy. Jealousy. Why not just learn the truth and get on board and everybody work together for the truth? They just couldn't do that. They had to become envious and jealous and work against Jesus. Even Pilate could see that. But don't stop there. Read on into verse 20. And notice these Jewish leaders became, I guess what they call in the auction world, ring men. Ring men. They're down there in the crowd and they're urging people. They're urging people, uh, say to release Barabbas. Say to release, release, release Barabbas. Say Barabbas, don't say Jesus. Remember, Jesus is against Caesar. Say Barabbas. And they stirred up the crowd so to where the crowd back there in verse 21 when Pilate asked again, which of the two you want me to release? They said, and the, and the world just echoes, they said, give us Barabbas. Give us Barabbas. And so these Jewish leaders have a huge problem. And then the crowd has a problem because they're not informed enough. They're not informed to the point where they could be duped. They could be misled by these Jewish leaders. So they have a problem as well. The only one here that doesn't have a problem is Jesus. Now let's make some comparisons here that you already see. But it's so good. It's so good. Remember one of our goals today? is to appreciate Jesus and then also to look for salvation in Christ. Let's notice some comparisons between us and Barabbas. Us and Barabbas. Barabbas, he's on death row because of murder, thievery, and insurrection. He's on death row. Everybody in the world also on death row spiritually. Ephesians 2 verse 1, we are dead in our trespasses and sins. Ephesians 2 and verse 12, we are strangers before God. And we have no hope. John 3.16 says if we don't follow Jesus, we're going to perish. John 3.36 says if we don't follow Jesus, we're under the wrath of God. Luke 19 verse 10 says we are lost. 
Isaiah 53 and verse 6 says, All we like sheep have gone astray. We also are on death row. Barabbas is deserving of his sentence. Everybody knows that. He deserves to go to the cross. He deserves to be punished anyway. We also, we deserve death. We deserve death. Romans 6.23 says, The wages of sin is death. Death. The gift of eternal life from God in Christ Jesus is free, but the wages of sin is death. Barabbas. Jesus took His place on the cross. Barabbas. Barabbas heard the words, Crucify Him, crucify Him, but they weren't for Him. They were were for somebody else. They were for Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus took the place of Barabbas. Jesus died for us. He took our place. We sing the song, He bore it all. He bore it all. And He freely took our place. Jesus took our place. Galatians 1 verse 4 says, He died for our sins. 2 Corinthians 5 and 21 says, He who knew no sin became sin in our behalf. Isaiah 53 and verse 6, All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and the Lord has laid upon him the iniquity of us all. Jesus died for us. Romans 5 verse 8, God commends his own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. 1 Peter 3 and verse 18. Christ also suffered for us. The just for the unjust. The righteous for the unrighteous. That He might bring us to God. Having been been put to death in the flesh. But being made alive in the spirit. Jesus took our place. Barabbas was set free. He was released and set free and given a brand new life. And that is the opportunity for us as we submit to Christ. We can be released from the bondage of sin. Sin is a bondage. John 8, 34. Jesus said, whoever commits sin becomes a bondservant, a slave of sin. But Jesus, by shedding His blood, purchased us, Acts 20 and verse 28. We can be set free and given a new life. Therefore, Romans 6 and verse 4 says, Therefore, we are buried with Him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead of the... Even so, we also are raised to walk in newness of life. And so, as we follow Christ... We are released, we are made free, and we are given a new life. For Barabbas, how personal that was. Can you imagine? 
I invite you to put yourself in the shoes of, shoes of Barabbas for just a minute. What would you have been doing that day? It was your time. Would you be praying? I mean, you're on death row. This was a day for crucifixions. You know what's coming. You know the, the spikes. You know the suffering of the cross. You can, you, you can be up there on that cross for a day, suffering. Barabbas had a very personal experience that day. Very personal. Jesus endured the suffering, the pain, the shame, the disgrace, the death that belonged to Barabbas. He took it on himself. What must Barabbas be feeling? What were his thoughts? Could this possibly be real? And so, for us, may we never just take it for granted that Jesus died for us. May we make it personal because that's the way it is. He died for you. He died for me. He took our place And gave us a life that we do not deserve. Paul's words come to mind. Galatians 2.20 I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live. Yet not I, but Christ lives in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the, of the Son of God who loved me. Notice how Paul is able to personalize this. Who loved me and gave himself for me. Underline that at the end of Galatians 2, verse 20. Who loved me and gave himself for me. The one on this day who needed no forgiveness took the place of the one who had no hope. That rings true for Barabbas. And it rings true for us as well. Third question, whom shall I release unto you, Barabbas or Jesus who is called Christ? Fourth question, when they ask for Barabbas, then Pilate asks, well then what shall I do with Jesus who is called Christ? This word, this name Jesus, this, this word, this name Christ, Christ means anointed one. Basically, Jesus is the one that you look for coming out of the Old Testament. So Jesus is the Son of God from the Old Testament. But He's also the Son of God from the New Testament because He's the Savior of the world. Jesus means Savior. Christ means anointed one or coming, coming one. So whether you're looking at it from the standpoint of the Old Testament or the standpoint of the New Testament, Jesus is the one. What shall, what, look what Pilate asked, what shall I do with Jesus? We sing about that sometimes, don't we? 
It's a good question, Pilate. You can ask a good question and still not have a good outcome. That's Pilate's case. But it doesn't have to be with us. It's a good question. What shall I do with Jesus? Not what has what are my friends doing with Jesus? It's not what my grandpa did or is doing with Jesus. It's it is what shall I do with Jesus? And that is a question that we must ask every day. Every day. Luke nine verse twenty three says we take up our cross daily and follow him. What shall I do with Jesus? And then the final question, Pilate says, well, why? He's still perplexed. Why? What evil has he done? It is quite amazing to notice how many times during these last few hours, how many times Jesus is declared innocent. If you go back to Matthew 26, 59 and 60, Jesus is before Caiaphas, the high priest, and many Jewish officials, they're... They've gathered together a lot of witnesses against him. And though they found a lot of witnesses, they found nothing to charge, charge him against. Even though they brought in all these false witnesses, they could not find a charge against him. You know, Judas is the one that led them to Jesus in the garden and they made the arrest. But Judas was full of regret. And we read in Matthew 27, 3 and 4, Judas brings back his 30 pieces of silver throws them down at the feet of the priest, and he says, I have sinned in that I have betrayed innocent blood. Innocent blood. And right here, Pilate's own wife says, have nothing to do with this righteous man. And Pilate himself is saying again and again, why, what evil has he done? I'm looking right here at Luke 23. 14, well, beginning in verse 13, Luke 23, 13. Pilate called together the chief priests and the rulers and the people and said to them, You brought me this man as one who was misleading the people. And after examining him before you, behold, I do not find this man guilty of any charges against him. Neither did Herod, Herod, for he sent him back to us. Look, nothing deserving of death has been done by him. I will therefore punish and release him. But they will cry out in the next verse, Away with this man and release to us Barabbas. Again and again, Jesus is found innocent, but he went to the cross anyway. A little statement made in Acts 2.23 that explains this. This is all by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God. This is all being done. This is above man. This is above us. This is all being done by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God. And God is doing this because He loves us very much. What shall I do with Jesus? Well, we can't do what Pilate was trying to do because... In the next few verses here in Matthew 27, Pilate, seeing that there was a tumult, a riot about to begin in the city, he takes a pan of water 
and he washes his hands, he declares himself. He says, I'm innocent of the blood of this righteous man. No, you're not. We cannot concoct our own system of being guilt-free. We cannot declare ourselves guilt-free. No matter what kind of experience we think we've had, no matter what kind of situation we think we've been in, the only way of coming clean with the Lord, the only way of being forgiven is through the words of Jesus. For example, he who believes and is baptized shall be saved, Mark 16, 16. And other passages like that. These five questions from a very wicked ruler perhaps can help us do what we set out to do. Learn more about Jesus. Appreciate Him more. Be more devoted to Him. And lead others to salvation in Him. Let's stand right now. Let's sing this song of encouragement. Let's encourage each other as we stand. And if anyone needs to come to Jesus, please make that known uh, this morning.